This episode of The Stable Podcast is brought to you by Hard Cut Subs. Hard Cut Subs prides themselves on their mission to deliver high-quality, open-label products to become a means to help their customers achieve any fitness-related goal through proper supplementation. To purchase Hard Cut Subs' dosed pre-workout formula, go online and visit hardcutsubs.com. On this week's episode of The Stable Podcast, the Detroit Lions were snubbed. We're going to go over what happened in the last few seconds of the game, along with the protests happening in the NFL, and finally, go over WMU's upcoming game against Ball State. So sit back, pour yourself a tall glass of Kool-Aid, and let's get started. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of The Stable Podcast. It's been an absolutely wild weekend in sports, everything going on from the NFL, NBA, MLB, and tying the political office into all of that made for a a crazy weekend of my phone blowing up with notifications, keeping up with articles, keeping up with all the games that are going on. Today I want to talk a little bit about everything that's happened, really with a big focus on the NFL. I'm going to be joined by Jackson Vidari later in the podcast to discuss the Lions snub in the last few seconds of the game. But I also want to talk about the NFL protests and where I think players can go from this point to get a little bit more traction and avoid the conflictions that are happening between those that are against the protests and those that are for the protest. Along with that, I want to discuss Western's coming game against Ball State. They're finally out of the woods and into the fire with conference play. They just won two games in a row against the Idaho Vandals and Wagner Seahawks. The Idaho Vandals came down to the fourth quarter, but uh, they really pulled their pants up and figured it out. And the Wagner Seahawks, being that they were an FCS team, the line was like 36 and a half, and they, they easily covered that and blew Wagner out of the water at home in Waldo Stadium. So a lot going on, but first and foremost, I just want to dive right into the NFL protest. Like I said, Jackson Vidara will join me right after this on a special segment discussing the Lions, but I think it's very important to discuss this from my perspective and everybody's perspective, really. This is this shouldn't be anything that anybody's avoiding discussing and talking about and, and sharing ideas about. Uh, so just diving in real quick, let's talk about the NFL protests that happened this week. So this past Friday, President Donald Trump, during a speech in Huntsville, Alabama, said, quote, he'd love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now. He's fired. This basically created an absolute uproar in the NFL to where several organizations, numerous players, uh, more more players than not, and more organizations than not, are releasing statements and, and making claims and, and spreading their opinion about what the president said. Because even though Colin Kaepernick, uh, a, a year, year and a half ago, took that knee to, to stand up against oppression and discrimination and police brutality and so on and so forth, uh, it really hasn't been universally accepted until the president took aim against the NFL itself. Since that happened, we've seen numerous teams taking knees. We've seen the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Ravens on the early game in London. Uh, numerous players took knees. Even Ray Lewis was there, who has, in the past, spoken out against Colin Kaepernick and uh, how he's bringing the flag into the mess and how he needs to keep silent. So Ray Lewis completely flip-flopped, uh, took two knees on the early Sunday morning opener. We saw the Detroit Lions locking arms with owner Martha Firestone Ford. We saw numerous other teams. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons were out there in Detroit. The Steelers, Seahawks, and Tennessee Titans actually didn't even go on the field 
for the national anthem, although they did stay in the tunnel. Especially, uh, the Steelers, in fact, stayed in the tunnel. Other than Villanueva, the tackle uh, who served, I think it was like three or four tours in Afghanistan, uh, stood right outside the tunnel um, with his hand over his chest and has now become one of the highest-selling jerseys in the NFL in the past 24 to 48 hours. So a lot went down with that. Immediately, players are speaking out. And... I, I'll just I'll just go into my opinion because that's just a general consensus. And honestly, if you're backlogged and you don't truly understand what's going on and you haven't seen all these protests and you're not caught up, just just read. Honestly, just go online and see what's going on. Get on uh, whether it be Twitter or get on a news app, uh, Associated Press, NPR, something that's not going to give you a bull spin to where it's going to influence your opinion. Read up as to what these players are speaking out against and go and listen to that speech by Donald Trump. I'm not going to feed you an opinion as to what you should believe, but I want to talk about what I think the players can do to further their agenda and talk a little bit more about where they stand in terms of what they're speaking out and protesting against. So Colin Kaepernick did this a year, a year and a half ago, and people kind of lost their minds. Uh, We really didn't know what to think of it because it was kind of a subpar quarterback at the time that took a knee out of the blue And finally, when he was given a pedestal to talk about it, he said he was speaking out against police brutality, oppression of black people, um, the unfairness, the inequities, so on and so forth. So I'm all on board with that. And I think a lot of people that believe in just the general equality of man would be on Colin Kaepernick's side, whether they be uh, for or against kneeling during the national anthem. But... Since then, it kind of went under the radar. We saw, especially at the beginning of this year, we saw several Browns players, which Jarrett and I discussed in a former podcast. We've seen a lot of players taking knees and and making statements and discussing about the political climate. And now's their opportunity to really grab that by the throat. The ESPYs last year, we saw the Banana Brothers uh, from the NBA, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and the whole crew stand up and Chris Paul talk about the inequalities and talk about how we really need to come together as as men and women, regardless of the color of our skin, uh, our sexuality, ethnicity, so on and so forth. And we really need to bond together and through sports and so on and so forth. That was a time to where Chris Sly and I even discussed it the other day and, and talked about, you know, that was a really big opportunity for them to capitalize on that. We thought the NBA would be leading this charge uh, where we're bringing politics and sports together and using sports as a platform to notify people of the the things that are going on in the United States. The NBA kind of dropped the ball there. We were too focused on the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the drama that was going on in the NBA overall to really focus on stuff like that. And players were too busy with their season to make those, those outcries and make those statements. So the NFL kind of picked the ball up and started running. And now that they have everybody's attention, you really need to capitalize on this. In discussions with several people, there's, there's kind of a misunderstanding as to what they're protesting against, whether they're protesting against the president of the United States or they're protesting something akin to Colin Kaepernick's discrimination, inequities, and so on. Right now is a big opportunity for the players to band together. And, and I nominate uh, Richard Sherman, uh, a guy that is so uh, a Stanford grad who is very studious in his oratory and and can speak very fluently and is very calm cool and collected when discussing things like this and other members of the seattle seahawks organization who actually addressed the issue head-on in their statement and didn't really beat around the bush like many other people other owners uh released statements even jim Irsay from the indianapolis colts and didn't really address that this was about donald trump they really addressed it more of saying like 
uh, we're all for the equality of man and we support players' right to protest against that or protest for that. So no other owners and no other organizations really tackled this head-on as they should have. So my my proposal is that players like Richard Sherman that want to actually attack this head-on and start giving back to the community and start actually correcting this issue that is that is inarguably present in the United States, they need to actually start working towards correcting that. Um, whether it be through the NFLPA and and actually creating uh, an organization or a board that is going to be discussing with the NFL on how to correct these problems or organizing a separate board of players to discuss things through other leagues like the NBA and MLB, this, this needs to be capitalized on. There's no way that, and Ben Roethlisberger is an example. Ben Roethlisberger already said that the Steelers will be on the field for future anthems and they will support that, and, and all the players can do essentially what they want. It was it was kind of a team demonstration this week, and I think that's what it's going to happen with a lot of players and, and teams and organizations. But one thing that needs to be capitalized on is this discussion. We cannot let this die out. This cannot be a one-week thing that had all this national attention, and we're already seeing, contrary to Donald Trump's tweets and his assumptions, that the NFL had a kind of boosted viewership this weekend. And I don't know, we, we really can't pinpoint whether it's people that were tuning in just to see that the demonstrations were going on and then turning the television off, kind of like Donald Trump uh, assumes, or if this was people actually watching the NFL because they want to see a stand and they want to see a statement, or maybe it's just good football. Um, I think the good football is, is lesser uh, of an option, but what really needs to be done is the capitalization of these protests. So again, I think it's it'd be really valuable to to outline what they're actually protesting for because a lot of people are confused. I I'm not necessarily confused because I I understand and I'm I'm sympathetic to the discrimination and inequalities that are happening in the United States, whether it be through police brutality, uh, inability to get a job, uh, just general discrimination, uh, and so on. You know, these things that are consistently happening are obvious to me and numerous, numerous other people. But some folks don't really understand what they're protesting against. So there needs to be there needs to be something done outside of just generally talking to the media and making your thoughts known to discuss what this protest is for. You know, I, I, it's very valuable. You have the world's attention right now. That changed sports. This is similar to the 1968 Olympics when Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fist on the podium. This is something to where you have have taken the national stage to talk about a pertinent and ever-present problem in the United States, and now you need to capitalize on that. So, I could go on about this really all day long and talk about you know what the players need to do, but the first step is when you put all this work into something, all this work of of making sure people see what's going on and, and throwing the president under the bus and trashing uh, those that think a protest is against the American flag, which, quick tangent, this is not a protest against the American flag or the armed forces. This is a protest against trying to make this country more like what we want in terms of acceptance of all the equality of men and women, regardless of their race, color, creed, sexual orientation. That's what these protests are about. And I think we need a, a, a person to 
to make that clear. And that's why I nominate Richard Sherman, because he's been at the forefront of this and so have the Seattle Seahawks. And we need somebody out there to actually discuss what is going on and why these players are protesting to just to be straight and clear, because right now it's it's speculation. It's straight speculation of everybody saying they're protesting against the flag. They're protesting against Donald Trump. So we need a clean cut idea of this is our goal and this is what we want to do. One of the worst things that I can imagine is all this work has been done and there's been no capitalization for a final goal. You need to achieve something through this process and you actually need to put it on paper or put it through an organization. Do not let the media distort these uh, these ideals and in, in, in these comments because Elsie Granderson yesterday on Sports Nation made a very great point of saying this is by fault of, of the media because... We kind of got too enthralled with headlines and saying this is an anthem protest, and and the other the other people on the board were saying, you know, we only have 140 characters to tweet out a headline, so it's hard to actually send news 24/7 news through Twitter without fully explaining what's going on. And then people, uh, which I know through a journalist perspective, when people click on a mobile format article or whether they're reading through their computer or their newspaper. Typically, people only get through about the first two to three hundred words, so there's not a, an opportunity to fully explain what's going on. So that's why I believe we really need a board or we need a group of players, a group of individuals to discuss what the point of this is and make a plan for further action. Don't let this fall dead in the water like the like the Banana Boat Brothers did at the ESPYS. Let's actually capitalize on this and discuss how to make this better and how to actually address this in our in our personal communities, whether it be Detroit, whether it be Atlanta, whether it be Jacksonville, Baltimore, Cincinnati, all these teams that protested, let's follow up and make our communities a better place. Moving on to the Detroit Lions and their recent heartbreaking loss against the Atlanta Falcons, I'm going to toss it over to an earlier interview I had with Jackson Vidari, former assistant sports editor of the Western Herald and Detroit Lions specialist. I am joined here by Jackson Vidari. You know him from former podcast Drink a Draft Kool-Aid with Jackson. Uh, we discussed the draft with the Detroit Lions this past year. But he's joining me today to talk about the 10-second runoff rule, how the Lions performed against the Atlanta Falcons, and a foreseeable victory against the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, what's going on, Jackson? How you been? Good, Brendan. How's it going? Uh, glad to be back on the, uh, on the stable and uh, looking forward to this discussion. Very interesting game someday. <laughs> Damn straight, dude. This was, uh, I'm happy to have you back because the last podcast that we did, like I said, the draft Kool-Aid, uh, was probably one of the most popular podcasts we did. I, your family is like, uh, like, like really great listening base. So <laughs> much respect to the Vidaris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just glad to be able to go on and share it on my socials and hopefully we can do it again. So. All right, well, jumping right in and breaking down what happened. The Lions actually kept up with the Atlanta Falcons through the entirety of the game, and the one big thing that happened near the end is uh, Stafford drove all the way down the field. No timeouts. There was like a minute, minute and a half left on the clock. Drove all the way down the field, and it came down to a third down play where Stafford uh, passed to Golden Tate, and it looked like immediately that Golden Tate had scored and the Lions uh, had won the game. But after further review and after the officials went to the booth, they determined that Tate did not cross the plane, and uh, the possession was null and void, and the touchdown was null and void. And due to a 10-second runoff rule to where the Lions did not have any timeouts in the last two minutes after a reviewed play, uh, basically the 10-second rule is kind of like a spirit of the play type thing to where 
the official review almost served as a timeout, and they'd charge a team a timeout, but since the Lions didn't have one, it would be a 10-second runoff. It just so happened that there was eight seconds left on the clock, so the game ended in the most Lions-y way that we could have ever possibly seen, especially for facing one of the top teams in the NFL. So run me through your thought process and how you felt as you watched this game kind of collapse and unfold in front of you as a Lions fan. Well, to contextualize, I was driving home from Munising in the Upper Peninsula. So I was listening to the game. I watched uh, the third quarter, but then got back on the road. So I'm listening to it. We're back in the same spot we've been, you know, 25, 26 times with Stafford leading the team down the field. And for some reason, I just didn't think that they'd be able to do it. That last play, you know, you hear touchdown Detroit Lions from Dan Miller. You think everything's <laughs> good, but, that, you know... I, I held, I waited. I was like, okay, just got to make sure. And it was just really weird to listen to on the radio. Just unexplainable how they overturned it. I mean, watching the the replay and the highlights, it's just like, how can you definitively say, okay, he has, you know, he has possession here. He's touched down. And he's short. Don't really understand it. The officiating in the NFL is just, it's bizarre sometimes with what's a catch, what's not. Going back to the, the Monday night game with Des Bryant, he supposedly crossed the plane with the ball i didn't see it you're talking so, last night last night yeah yeah but i don't know rules a rule for me with 19 seconds left on the one yard line you got to score you got to score somehow your route should be in the end zone got to do something and when you leave it up to the refs up to the rules that's what's going to happen and the most linesy thing happened as you said so it's disappointing but at the, at the end of the day you're two and one uh, not too bad, and you're going into a, a big divisional game. So with the general performance of the Lions, we did see a subpar performance by Matt Stafford, 25 for 45 for 264 and a touchdown. It, not a great QBR. We did see decent rushing, Amir Abdullah with, with only 50 yards, but, I mean, we see that week in and week out at the 50-yard mark. TJ Jones actually led the team in receiving with 63 yards. The one big thing that I saw in receiving was Eric Ebron doesn't know how to catch a football. Stonehands Ebron showed up after leading the team last week. But as a general overall performance grade, how do you think the Lions did? We're already getting credit from ESPN and the NFL. We're ranked number four behind the Chiefs, Patriots, and Falcons. Those are the only three teams ranked ahead of us in the NFL right now. So our power rankings are in the top five. But overall, what do you think of a general performance that the Lions had against Atlanta? Well, looking at the scope of it uh, against the defending NFC champions, um, not a great game offensively. Um, could have scored a couple more touchdowns. You know, had the ball in good field position thanks to the defense. You know, somewhere around a B. You, you didn't finish the job. You didn't win. But a great performance. The defense was very resilient. They, uh, they did what they needed to do. Uh, but they kind of got carved up a little bit. And then um, the offense, you know, like I said, you could have done a little bit better. When you get the ball on the 30 or in the in the opposing team's half off of a turnover, you have to score a touchdown. So, But it's still very early, things that uh, they can work on and improve. But overall, I was impressed. Now, with going into next week, the way that I kind of looked at this Atlanta game is we're 2-0 walking against, like you said, the NFC defending champions. It's okay to lose this game. This is the one game in the first four that I would have been all right with losing, just due to the stature of the Falcons. Same. But we kept a, a four-point discrepancy at the end of the game. We lost. We're 2-1 going to Minnesota to play a rather hot Minnesota Vikings team. 
What's your outlook for the next week? And uh, I would assume that we would agree in saying that this is a must-win game. Yes, this is where it gets interesting because now you have a lot of people taking notice and saying, wow, the Lions are actually good. So the pressure is on because the Lions have to win these games where they're you know, maybe favored or thought to win, which is something we're not really used to seeing. Usually it's like, oh, well, the Lions are going to lose and they come out and they play competitive and they might, they might win. But yeah, must-win game in the division against a, you know, a team that can run the ball, which the Lions kind of had a little bit of trouble with last week. And uh, you know, it's a game you think you should win. So hopefully they can put a complete effort together and, uh, and take that, that win from the Vikings. Who do you want under center for the Vikings, Sam Bradford or Case Keenum? I didn't really see much of Case Keenum. Um, I know he had a good game. I would say Sam Bradford, maybe he's, you know, he's less mobile. He's coming off an injury, but I remember from last year, I think, uh, in that Thanksgiving game, you know, he had a, he had like one of the best games of his career. seems like the Lions defense is built around that bend, but don't break. We'll, we'll let you have a lot of completions, but, um, but at the end of the day, try to stop you from getting in the end zone. So I think I would want to go with Bradford, you know, maybe you know him a little more. But on the other hand, maybe Keenum, because he's less experienced, um, maybe doesn't know as much about you know working with his teammates. But I would say it doesn't really matter. Now, as a, as a final question before I let you go here and let you uh, give us your social media, give me a player that you've seen on the Lions this year, your standout player through three games. I guess just off the bat, Darius Slay. He, uh, one thing that he said from last year is he wanted to get more interceptions. Obviously, he had two last week. He's been uh, good in coverage. I was surprised that he wasn't on Julio Jones the whole time, uh, but still, Darius Slay. And then offensively, Stafford, I mean, he's just doing what we pay him to do. Right. Um, and the offense as a whole has been pretty pretty good, and the offensive line improved, has helped in the running game and, and helped overall. But, yeah, Matthew Stafford with – Everyone's talking about how he can make plays with his feet. Like we, we've seen that a little bit last year and now this year a lot more. So, yeah, probably Darius Slay and, and Matthew Stafford. All righty, Jackson. Listen, I sincerely appreciate you joining me. Why don't you give the listeners your social media so they can hit you up on Twitter? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jackson underscore JRN. Come talk to me about some sports and uh, everything else that's going on. What, before you leave, what are you listening to lately? Yeah, I uh, – I've been listening to Action Bronson's new album that came out. I'm not a huge fan of him, but uh, he he's cool. He's got good beats, uh, as well as some new Young Thug. Um, and I was listening to Lil Uzi Vert's uh, new Love album. Rage too? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like cool to listen to, I guess, but it's nothing really that special, so... Although he yeah. ain't the greatest in the world, I highly recommend before you leave, check out Gemini by Macklemore. I saw that. I was hesitant to ris- listen to it, but I'll uh, I'll listen to it it's if thoughtful. you recommend. It's thoughtful. It's it's not a banger. Some people told me it's a banger. It's a thoughtful album. Trust me. <laughs> All right. I'll check it out. You always need something new. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jackson, and I'll talk with you soon. Thank you, Brendan. Thanks to Jackson for joining the Stable Podcast this week. Uh, wrapping things up with a quick little segment on Western Michigan University football. They are coming off a 49-14 victory against Wagner. They are now 2-2 two and two to start conference play against a 2-2 two and two ball state this coming week at Waldo Stadium. 
The line is currently set at 12 points in favor of the Broncos, the over-under 62. This should be a very competitive game. This should be a good football game to kind of gauge where Western's at. Like I said two or three weeks ago uh, after the Michigan State game, this is it. This is your opportunity to shine. You're in, you're out of the woods and into the fire. Not, no longer are you exempt from any criticism, any commentary to be said by me, other journalists, other fans, uh, the organization itself, the coach, the players. Nothing's off limits now. Uh, you guys are now a team to be criticized by the people. Two and two, we did see a terrible loss against USC and MS. Or not, nah. I take that back. It was not a terrible loss against USC. I've said it in the past. That was a good game. A terrible loss against MSU. A relatively handed victory against Idaho, although it did come down to the fourth quarter. And a simple victory against Wagner. So now Ball State, 2-2, two and two, put up a very good fight against Western Kentucky last week, uh, losing 33-21. to 21, And then they lost to Illinois by only a field goal in uh, their season opener. They beat UAB and Tennessee Tech uh, in weeks 2 and 3. So... This is going to be a good game. The things we need to focus on, like I always say, broken record, conversions and completions, and John Wasink has been doing that wonderfully in the past few games. John Wasink went 11 for 12 for 165 and three touchdowns against Wagner. Very consistent. Jamari Bogan had 132 yards and a touchdown, and Jarvian Franklin had uh, 111 with two touchdowns. Uh, we saw four touchdowns out of the backfield and three receiving touchdowns by Keyshawn Watson and Mitch Heimbuck. So... They looked really good, but take into consideration that this is a really bad Wagner team that's only won one game out of the FCS. So you can't really consider this as being a a picture as to what the Broncos are going to look like as they walk into Waldo to face Ball State this week. I'm going to do my best to be there. Take this into consideration for those that are listening. If I just so happen to get to Waldo Stadium on Saturday for this football game, I will be doing a halftime live periscope at Waldo Stadium, uh, the destination to be announced in Waldo Stadium, wherever I can kind of find a place that isn't like swarmed with fans. Um, I typically just stick in the student section, but I know that's just going to be a madhouse by halftime. So I will find a place. Follow me on Twitter at BBUFFA underscore WMU, and I will release where I'm going to be. If I just so happen to get there, we can talk about what's going on in the first and second quarters, what we need to do in the second and third to seal a victory, um, whether it be a blowout or not, which I, I'm, I'm expecting it to be a very tight game come halftime. So, yeah, we'll talk Western football as the week goes on. Like I said in the beginning, nothing's off limits anymore. It's time to really roll with the Western Michigan Broncos and criticize what they can do to get better and praise what they have done to already seal these victories. So Western Michigan football really kicks off this weekend. We're going to see a MAC competition against Ball State. After that, we get to go ship off and uh, play Buffalo. So it's going to be a very exciting few couple weeks coming up. A ton going on in Western Michigan football. The Lions look to get their victory, go 3-1, and one, and top that division against the Minnesota Vikings. Hopefully the Packers kind of stick around the basement area with the Bears. Keep an eye on those protests. Like I said, reiterate, capitalize on it. Capitalize and make something of it. Other than that, thank you so much for joining the Stable Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at BBUFFA underscore WMU or at Stable Podcast for the official Stable Podcast account. Uh, let's have a conversation. Let's talk a little bit more football, basketball. Hoops is coming up. Thanks so much. Go Lions! <laughs>